Hey y'all, and welcome to Geek Group. I am Frank, and I'm playing single player today. Let's first go ahead and get into our question of the week. We took this to the Twitterverse and had so many responses. We appreciate that. So the question of the week is, what series had the most satisfying and memorable finale? Now for myself, this is Avatar. Seeing Aang come into his all and find a way to beat Fire Lord Ozai without actually killing him. It really was a great way to finish the series off. And I think they just nailed it. So mine is Avatar, The Last Airbender. You guys, your number one pick was easily Breaking Bad. Ocho Doro, Alex from Ronin, um, uh, Bite of Pod, FNBN, all Breaking Bad fans. I can't blame you. It's fantastic. The song that's playing at the end of that episode, if you guys listen to the song, it's actually what the show's kind of based off of, is what I hear. If you listen to the song and imagine that the girl is meth, it makes sense. So check it out. Uh, another one that was really pretty big was A Good Place. A lot of people were voting for that. Oblivion Bar, they said Watchmen, and I have to agree. I was at the edge of my seat, the finale of Watchmen. Those final moments, seeing what happens in the pool. I won't spoil it because it's still kind of new. Guys, go watch Watchmen. Shoot the Flick had Scrubs. I love this part. Scrubs Season 8 because Season 9 never happened. Totally understand. Season 9 was botched. They tried their best. I mean, it just wasn't a scrub season, basically. Professor J says Buffy. I like Buffy. Uh, Scott says Supernatural. And, I mean, it's good to see that they were able to finish off that very long-lived uh, series. So that was Scott saying Supernatural. And then we'll go with uh, David McLean says Adventure Time. Great job, by the way. That final episode, pay attention to the statues that are, that are there. You'll note that it's in the future, and you'll see that there are two statues, both to Finn and Jake, that are in ruins. So it's a cool little uh, hint there. Uh, and then lastly, Comic Keepers said Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Here on the podcast, we have battled over which one had the better ending. And I'm a big, I'm a fan of Brotherhood better, but I think the finale from the Full Metal Alchemist is better, which is not accurate to the manga. We go back and forth on this, guys. It's a madhouse over here. Thank you to all of those that have submitted your answers to our question of the week. We'll try to bring those up on Twitter and our Discord uh, to kind of get you guys more included in the question of the week. I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, we also had our Patreon giveaway for this month. Uh, the winner this month for the Geek Freaks uh, socks is Jeff. Congratulations, Jeff. I will message you and get you those socks. I think they're pretty fancy. I think I'm going to order myself a pair as well. I got a lot of geek freaks on them, which, I mean, that's just fun, right? All right, moving on. We are going to go into the news. We're going to start off with some quickies. All right, our first quickie is going to be Waterworld series is in the works. Personally, I am very hyped for this. I love Waterworld. I argue that it is just basically a Mad Max on water, and people need to give it another shot. Well, when I brought this up on Twitter... I was so happy to see other fans. I'm not alone in my fandom. It's fantastic. Everybody's coming out talking about their favorite parts. So Waterworld is back, guys, and now we get to share with the rest of you. The series will be a sequel to the 1995 film. We have no news on the casting yet, but everybody's hoping that we get a little bit of Kevin Costner back. He was classic. If it's a sequel to the original 95 film, it's likely going to be taking place on the island and then dealing with invaders because that's kind of where the first movie ended off. Welcome back to Waterworld, guys. It should be a mess. CBS Viacom signs a brand new deal with Alex 
Hertzman. Alex is basically the Kevin Feige of the Star Trek universe right now. He's been pioneering all these Star Treks over at the Paramount Plus streaming service, once called CBS All Access. His contract had a, uh, I believe it's a couple of years left, but this new one is good till 2026. Basically, he, he renegotiated it because he felt like, look, I'm the reason Paramount Plus is still a thing, and you guys really should be paying me the appropriate amount. His old contract was worth $5 million, okay? His new contract, get ready, $150 million according to deadline sources. What a step up. And you know what? Bravo, Alex. You earned it. You've created new fervor amongst the Star Trek fans. Strange New Worlds has hype amongst the Trekkies that I haven't seen in years. Discovery, while it has its ups and downs, has really spawned a new universe. Lower Decks is coming back soon. I'm having a blast with it. And of course, Picard is bringing back some old favorites. So congratulations, Alex, on your new contract. Well earned. Netflix is working on a brand new live action Pokemon series. Now, we don't know what the story for this will be, but it's likely going to be similar to the cartoons. It'll follow a young boy, probably Ash, as he's off on his adventures trying to collect all his badges. They do reference Detective Pikachu quite a bit when discussing this new project, so we can imagine it'll look similar to that. Humans and Pokemon living side by side in a live action world. Cubones out in the field, Mankeys climbing on trees. A random Charizard flying in the sky. It should be a lot of fun. Netflix knows what they're doing, and Pokemon is a huge franchise. It's smart for these two to team up. Now, I am super excited for this next one, guys. Instagram user Cine8 posted a picture from the set of Black Panther 2, that's Wakanda Forever, of an underwater giant tank. This is the kind of tank where they film scenes underwater. Now, what does Black Panther have to do with underwater? Oh, nothing. But a very big villain of his, Namor, lives there. So this might be the introduction of Namor. He's sort of like the Aquaman of the Marvel Universe. He is a badass. Him and Black Panther have clashed so many times. They even teamed up a few times. So this is a really good sign that they're bringing in Namor. He's too important to not be in the MCU. And this is how we're going to get him. So welcome Namor to the MCU. All right, last quickie before we get into the big stories. Clifford, the big red dog, has been pulled from Paramount's schedule. And I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing. Who the hell cares? I'm not excited for the new Clifford movie. It's whatever. But what's interesting is the coincidences. Now, the studio is claiming that this is due to COVID, and that's fair. The Delta variant's going crazy. But when they released the first trailer, online followers and trolls and everybody else, including myself, bashed them hard on how terrible Clifford looked. It was atrocious. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? This same studio is also the ones that did the Sonic movie. And it feels like they're doing the same thing again. They released a trailer with a CGI character. It's terrible. They pull the project, fix the character, comes back. Now here's where it gets a little sinister, guys. Ever since that Sonic movie came out, there's been a low rumor around the dark web about people thinking that maybe Paramount did this, maybe they released that terrible Sonic as a promotion stunt. We were all talking about Sonic, and I, on this very podcast, said, if you guys like the fix, you should support them and go to the new one. And I did that. I paid money because of that. 
I still believe that, you know, it was just bad CGI and they fixed it. And I'm happy that they did. But what if, what if Paramount was playing some tricks on us, released a bad one so that it would trend, then fix it knowing that they could use the extra time anyways. They're probably already working on the new one. And then come out with a movie that everybody was chomping at the bit to see. They could be pulling the same trick again with Clifford the Big Red Dog. Now they claimed it's due to COVID. So when this movie does come back, and by the way, it's just pulled off the schedule, not delayed, pulled. So they have more work to do on this thing. But if it comes back and that dog looks better, we know Paramount is up to some shenanigans over there. Black Widow roared onto the box office charts on its opening day. Unfortunately, by the weekend, there was a sharp decline. The initial rush was chalked up to Marvel superfans returning to the theaters, but the drop-off was due to Disney, Disney's hybrid release. They released Black Widow both in theaters and on Disney+. Home viewers had to pay a premium of $30, and for many, that was well worth it. They preferred the safety of their home, and with the Delta variant spreading, I mean, how can you blame them? Disney still wins. They receive money from both sources. Matter of fact, on Disney+, Plus, they get 100% of the proceeds. Scarlett Johansson claims in a brand new lawsuit filed against Disney that they have breached their contract by releasing it on Disney+. While the contracts are not available to the public, Wall Street Journal sources claim Johansson will lose nearly $50 million. Johansson's attorney, John Barlinski, states Disney is doing this hybrid release only to pump up their stocks and are ignoring their stars. Disney's, Disney responded by saying the suit is completely false and distasteful due to the pandemic. But Scarlett's team was concerned about the hybrid release prior to COVID. In 2019, Scarlett's representatives asked for reassurances that Black Widow would not release on Disney+. They were actually worried that they would use Black Widow to launch Disney+. Marvel Chief Counsel Dave Galuzzi uh, told them that the movie would release with quote-unquote traditional theatrical models. Disney is also claiming Scarlett Johansson will actually make more money from this release. So this is from a Disney spokesman to a CNN uh, Business Insider. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract, and furthermore, the release of Blackwood on Disney Plus with premier access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she received uh, to date. So she has the $20 million she gets up front, and then there's kind of like royalties based off of its release. And typically when it goes to theaters, that's what it's all based off. We have a lot to learn from Johansson's case over the next couple months. Hybrid releases are probably here to stay. It gives the studio more control over their product and bolsters their own streaming services. In this case, Disney+. Plus. How this affects the stars and theater companies is still being hammered out. Scarlett's fame gives her the best voice to represent other stars in the same situation. Matter of fact, Emma Stone is now weighing her options on suing Disney. Cruella also had a hybrid release and had a pretty pitiful uh, numbers. Two stars going after Disney will have a massive impact on the precedent that we're about to set. And according to Matthew, uh, Matthew Baloney, who's a former Hollywood Reporter editor, Kevin Feige is very, quote-unquote, angry and embarrassed over Disney's handling of the lawsuit. He lobbied against the hybrid release, saying that it actually weakens the MCU brand. And we've discussed this before. But yeah, Marvel's brand, that big theater showing, 
watching Avengers on the big screen. That's a big part of Marvel's brand. It's an event. So when you take it to the home screen, while I find it very comfortable, right? I get to microwave my burritos and watch Black Widow or whatever on the home screen. That's fantastic. But the event is gone. And Kevin Feige knows that. A lot of people in Hollywood know that. And Disney is trying to pioneer something new. It will be tough. As a fan, I believe this is something where we need to sit back and watch. Do we pick teams? It's hard. Yes, I love Disney. I love all their stuff they're making. I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm such a Disney fanboy that really I'm going to buy a ticket to whatever they pick. But I'm also a fan of Scarlett Johansson and Emma Stone and all these actors that work hard. They put their money in and they sign these contracts. The contracts are a little bit fuzzy. Again, they're not released to the public, but from insiders, we're getting a little tidbits. And in many cases, Disney didn't break the contract, but the implied theatrical release is questionable. Matthew Maloney himself, on his newsletter that he sends out to people who sign up, says that she actually has a strong case because of those 2019 emails. That was essentially confirmation from Disney that they will be playing by old school rules. We'll keep you guys updated on this story as it goes, because I believe that this will actually shape how movies are distributed in the future. Lucasfilm, the studio behind Star Wars, has hired a YouTube defaker. Now, before we go any farther, we're going to be talking about Mandalorian Season 2, and we're going to be spoiling a lot of it. So if for some reason, if you're a big fan of that rock you're hiding under, it's a good time to stop listening. But for the rest of us, let's discuss. Lucasfilm hires YouTuber Shamook, best known for fixing the Mandalorian Season 2 finale. At the end of Mandalorian Season 2, Luke Skywalker flies in to save the day. It's a wonderful scene. After demolishing the robotic dark troopers, which by the way, best troopers we've seen in Star Wars, I'm just saying. Skywalker takes Grogu, or Baby Yoda for us cool people, for Jedi training. An epic moment was forgotten by this lackluster CGI used on Luke. I'm sure you guys saw on Twitter, or just in the internet in general, how many people were talking smack about how bad Luke Skywalker looked. Now, if you were not distracted by that, the epic moment would have been what's trending. And instead, it was, wow, that CGI face. And we've seen Star Wars do these in the past. They're not great. Now, for some context, Mark Hamill was 32 when he finished filming Star Wars Return of the Jedi. Hamill is currently 69 right now, but in The Mandalorian, Luke Skywalker should be 37. It takes place five years later. Lucasfilm and Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, classic, employed de-aging special effects to bring back young Skywalker. Mark Hamill acted out the scenes as normal, there was a body double for walking around on set, and then they CGI'd and face-rigged the uh, younger face upon him. While ILM is typically the cutting edge of special effects, it looked rough. The head didn't sink to the body very well, the blinks were the worst, they were blurry and hazy, and most importantly, this did not look like Mark Hamill. Just looked like a completely different actor. If it wasn't for the voice, you could be misled. In comes a YouTuber on a mission. Shamook took the footage, and in only a few days, I believe two, produced a much better product. The dedicated creator fixed all major issues for Luke Skywalker. Most importantly, he looked like Luke again. All the fans took note, and so did Lucasfilms. 
they ended up hiring Shamook on as a permanent hire. So what does this mean? Well, first, this indicates that future Star Wars projects will include more de-aging characters. We might actually have Harrison Ford zooming around in the Millennium Falcon once again. I wouldn't hate that. Hiring Shamook could also telegraph the future for the Mandalorian. Some are concerned that the story was now going to shift away from Baby Yoda, Yoda and onto Mando heading off on a new adventure. But this might indicate that we're going to see Luke Skywalker actually training Baby Yoda, and both are here to stay. Lucasfilm could have seen the positive responses to Shamook's YouTube videos and brought him in for season three scenes. We may see Grogu's training on a distant planet with a proper Luke Skywalker as a Jedi ma Master. I'm excited for this. Now, in my opinion, The Mandalorian is one of the best things that's ever come out of the Star Wars IP. I enjoy every episode. Some are okay and pretty good, and some are game-changing. But I have never been disappointed. That final episode of Season 2 really felt like the conclusion to many stories and opened up a whole new world. The fact that they're bringing on Shamook tells me that they're going to be really walking through those doors. They're going to take the care that, that the Mandalorian deserves. Dave Filoni's world deserves. But there's also this side story of bringing back actors that are no longer with us. We've seen it with Princess Leia, Grand Moff Tarkin. These, char these characters are part of the Star Wars universe and they're live in the story right now. But the actors have passed and they deserve their rest. The moral gray area that we're in right now is tricky. How do you compensate the actors? And they need to be compensated, Disney. How do you do that? Do you pay to their state, to their family? What's the going rate? This is going to be very tricky. And there's a part of me that's happy that we're talking about it now. The matter of, um, it's a matter of time with the technology we have today. We really need to hammer this out. Do you guys feel it's okay to bring back a character, although the actor has passed away, and using that actor's face? Let me know on Twitter. Our next story also goes into face rigging. Final Fantasy 16 producer Naoki Yoshida recently joined the Washanaga show uh, to reveal some additional information about the upcoming game. The info that's making a splash is Final Fantasy's new face capturing. Final Fantasy 16 will employ, employ face capturing for dialogue scenes, a common practice in current gaming, but new to Final Fantasy. For example, Final Fantasy 7 used all CGI creative faces. Even more impressive, Square Enix is using both Japanese and English actors. Normally, the game would be made for the Japanese audience, then translated for the West. But this dual production shows Final Fantasy is so globally beloved, it can break the norms. It knows it will sell out in both nations. Not surprised with Square Enix's move here. The brand is thriving with the latest migration of players from World of Warcraft to Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, this is the time to lock down the American audience. So now we have this company who already has like a booming presence in the world. A storied franchise, storied IP, and they're thinking it's time we lock in those Americans. More power to you, Square Enix. You are literally doing everything right right now. As long as we don't get some bad news about your executives, I'll be very happy. So keep an eye out for this, guys. Final Fantasy 16. We actually have their trailer on our website. Uh, check it out. You can see some of this uh, face rigging in action. 
Uh, you can tell what scenes are you actually using face rig and some that are using CGI still. I believe they're all going to go face rig. We'll see how it goes. But you can completely tell how much better the quality is in a face rigged face. So Final Fantasy 16, it's going to be impressive. Halo fans rejoice. Halo Infinite is on the way. So Halo Infinite is projected to come out this holiday season and players are ready. I am ready. This week we learned about how Infinite Sport Esports will work out and got some real playtime in a new multiplayer map. Halo Infinite has been a long staple of both first person shooter multiplayer and esports. And today, esports are more important to the industry than ever. Players will be able to play on Xbox or PC during the open brackets for Halo Infinite. I personally will be on PC. Once the competition narrows down to the championship brackets, players will have to switch to PC. I'll be out by this point. This change is jarring for console players, but 343's Tashi promises they will be given time to adjust. Now, this is a quote from Tashi, Halo Esports lead. To accommodate for players coming from the open bracket, they will be given an allotted time and exclusive access to a warm-up PC before jumping into the next match to quickly acclimate. At this final stage of competition, players can use any input device they prefer. This move is very unique in esports. It means you could have players using a mouse and keyboard on one team, taking on another team using all controllers. Now for non-competitive players, the crossplay may not seem like a big deal, but controllers are generally slower than mouse and keyboard players. Most games have an aim assist to keep controllers competitive with those on the mouse and keyboard. Will Halo have some players using aim assist during a tournament? We don't know yet, but this will make waves in the esports community and may shape the future of competitive first person shooters. We also got some real Halo Infinite gameplay this week. Players were able to sign up for a multiplayer beta where they could take on bots on a new map called Live Fire. The first thing I noticed from watching the footage was how much better the graphics look compared to that disastrous first gameplay trailer. Halo Infinite finally looks like a next-gen game. Many of the additions from Halo 5 they were added to the franchise have been removed, like Spartan Charge and other movement abilities. It slows combat a bit, but returns the game to its roots. In the end, Halo should be about you outplaying your opponent, not what boosts you have. One of the key things that people are noticing, players are no longer able to be blue or red armor, but instead, their shield aura is colored. This gives you the ability to see your teammates through walls, but when you're out in the open, you're very bright and easy to spot. 343 is probably making this change so players can actually use the armors that they purchase. This game, much like Fortnite and PUBG, has skins and colors and reskins and everything else that you could purchase on the side. Of course, that's how gaming works nowadays, unfortunately. But I have seen many streamers complain about this. So there could be a game mode that coming up that actually sticks to the original red versus blue. In the end, Halo Infinite seems to be returning to classic Halo. Basically, the more you play, the better you get. And that's what I need. Back in Halo 2 days, I played a ton of Halo. 
Pittman, I would actually say, was a pretty decent player. Since then, let's just say I'm casual. <laughs> I play a lot. I'm just not that great. I will try to sharpen my skills and climb the ranks, but I'll also be very happy just camping my friends and hanging out on Discord with this game. I know I'm getting it day one. I'm sure many of my friends are as well. You got to remember, this is going to be available on Microsoft's Game Pass, so it's a steal. For those of you who don't have Game Pass, you can activate a Game Pass for, I think it's three months right now, for $1. You can be playing a brand new Halo game for a buck. You can't pass that up. If you do join Halo, come into our Discord, let us know, we'll play together. Over on Geek Freaks Discord, everybody's able to hang out. All right, our next story, I don't enjoy talking about. Uh, the details, they're not great. But if you guys want all the details and all the, the different links to different sources, head to our website, geekfreakspodcast.com, where we'll continue to update the story. But we had a pretty big week in the Blizzard, Activision Blizzard sexual harassment case. So let's go over a couple of things that happened so that you're at least aware of what's going on. So Activision Blizzard uh, employees walked out in protest this week uh, carrying picket signs and everything like that. Uh, players joined them in their protest with mass logouts. Uh, this all follows the outrage of the lawsuit filed on July 22nd, claiming that the company fostered an environment of sexual harassment and gender discrimination. Employees marched outside the Blizzard Irving's office with signs of protest and support for coworkers. The demonstration is being called hashtag act Blizz walkout. 2,600 Activision Blizzard employees have signed an open letter to their company. You guys can see it on our website and on Polygon. They actually have gotten a copy. Uh, complaints range from sexual harassment, gender bias, tone-deaf response to management, by management, I'm sorry, and the lack of action from, from top abusers. We've gotten some additional statements from other top Blizzard people. Bobby Kotick, of course, uh, from the, the CEO for Activision Blizzard, put out a statement. It, did not, it was not received well, but this is normal for anything that Bobby Kotick does. We generally don't trust him as players. Again, head to our website. We're finding news stories every day. A couple examples of this is Blizzard hired, Activision Blizzard hired a new law firm to be kind of a third party in the situation. This law firm is an anti-union, it's a quote-unquote union-busting firm. Uh, they were used in uh, Amazon to stop them from union, unionizing. This hire they're claiming is to protect themselves from sexual harassment, and they're going to be digging into that, but the timing is a little off because the employees are talking about unionizing right now. So it's kind of like, well, what are you guys really concerned about? That's one of the things that people are talking about. Uh, some of the uh, tougher stuff to hear is, you know, an, an IT employee from Activision was filming coworkers in bathrooms. There's this inner circle at the top of the World of Warcraft leader team that were untouchable. Um, and I mean, at, at, in, my, in my opinion, almost a holy place in the Blizzard world at BlizzCon had a hotel room they used to call the Cosby Room and had a big portrait to Bill Cosby. And it's so sad when you see this image and you're like, oh, that's Ghostcrawler. I mean, he's one of the OG badass developers from World of Warcraft who's sitting there with a grin on his face next to a big portrait of Bill Cosby. And, you know, this is in the mid of the Bill Cosby cases. And it's just like, yeah, that's disappointing. So you guys want all the details and again the links to all the sources from the original articles that are, are breaking the news head to our website we have two articles right now one breaking down the protest and the other one that's basically an updating a live article 
where I'll be adding the new things that are coming out. And some of them are tough to read, but um, it is important to be aware of the situation the employees at Activision Blizzard are going through right now. All right, we're wrapping things up on this episode of Geek Freaks with our August watch list. All right, August is coming up. You need something good to watch. We have a couple good things on our different streaming networks. First off, for Netflix, on the 12th, Monster Hunter Legends of the Guild. Now, I'm not necessarily a fan of the Monster Hunter franchise. I just haven't really paid attention to it. But this movie looks really good. It's an animated movie. I think it's going to be good for both the kids and the parents. It looks really fun. And what I like is what Monster Hunter, like the live action movie, should have done. It's a small story about a village trying to protect themselves from one dragon. That's how you make a movie, guys. I mean, like World of Warcraft, do that. Um, there's a new Dragon Age movie that's that's I mean, way off in development. That's why we haven't mentioned it. It's way off in development. But do that. Just take a small quest in that world and explore it. So check this out, guys. Monster Hunter Legends of the Guild coming out August 12th. Also on Netflix, The Witcher, Nightmare of the Wolf. This trailer is badass. Coming out on the 23rd, this animated adventure will tell the tales of the early days of the Witchers when they were hunting down monsters with very little skills and very little tools. They're fighting a giant wolf, basically a werewolf, and this thing is dope. Over on Hulu, we have Reservation Dogs. There's a story about a, a four kids on a reservation that are getting into some trouble and basically growing up. Best thing about this, guys, first off, it's a story about Native Americans, so that's really cool, you know, that they're, they're getting the spotlight on this, but it's also produced by Taika Waititi, who, I mean, I'm sorry, this guy just cannot do wrong. Everything Taika Waititi does, I love. His uh, vampire show's coming up. I'll talk about that. That's coming up in September. So check this out, guys. A new project from him. Brooklyn Nine-Nine Season 8 starts on the 12th. I'm currently re-watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine right now and just falling in love with the series again. What a wonderful cast that you could tell truly love to hang out together. Check out Brooklyn Nine-Nine Season 8. Some big stuff to come. American Horror Story Season 10 is starting up. Now, this is just nuts. I, I can't sit there and watch American Horror Story. It's just a little too crazy for me. And it looks like this season, there's going to be aliens and vampires coming together. There is clearly a makeout scene between an alien and a vampire. Good on ya. <laughs> All right, here's some hype for you guys. Archer, season 12 premiering. Now, Archer is back to being Archer, guys. He is a full-on spy again in this, which is what that damn series needed so bad. So that is great. Of course, uh, his mother, the actress, I can't remember her name, she's from Arrested Development, and she's truly amazing. She passed away during, uh, during this last few months, so we're not sure how many lines she has in this, if they'll sign her out in a proper way. Hopefully, they, they do a really good job with that. Uh, she does have a line in the trailer, so we know that there, she is in the uh, season a little bit. HBO Max is going to win the month with The Suicide Squad coming out on the 6th. Uh, I mean, so far, the reviews for this thing are just good, good, good all around. Uh, I will be watching it on the 6th, and then we'll have a sloop that comes out. So keep an eye out for the sloop. Uh, it's over on our Patreon, so check it out. Titans Season 3 comes out on the 12th. This is going to be the season of Titans that I actually get into it. Why? They're bringing in Red Hood. Red Hood is such an amazing character. People don't understand how good the Robins are. Like, you may, like the mainstream people, you know what I'm saying? Not you guys into comic books, but like the mainstream people don't know that like Robin, all of them have really cool stories. Red Hood is fantastic. And from what I can tell from the trailer, they are telling a version of his story. 
That'd be really amazing. I know it seems too hardcore to be told, but they're doing it. Lastly, Disney Plus is going to be killing it with the what ifs. There's going to be unique stories told in the Marvel Universe with one thing changed. What if instead of Steve Rogers getting it, Carter got the uh, uh, super soldier serum? What if Iron Man was saved by Killmonger? So check out the what if stories over on Disney Plus. We will be doing uh, our sloops for the what ifs every single episode will be reviewed by me and thrown up on our sloops over on Patreon. So check that out. All right, folks, we're going to try something new here. We've been streaming Watchdog Legions over on the Geek Freaks Twitch channel. And we normally will be reviewing brand new games as they come out and we play them. And we're going to continue to do that. But over on the stream, we've been playing some classic PlayStation games. Watchdog Legion came out in 2020. It launched with the new systems. Uh, so, of course, it's a few months old. So this will be a review for a game that, yes, is a few months old. For those of you watching over on the stream, it's time we break down this game and give it an official grade. We will be doing this for each game that we stream over there. Uh, next is going to be Ratchet and Clank, the 2016 version. Next up, we're going to be going over... After that, we're going to be going over the new Ratchet and Clank, the 2021 version. So we're just going to keep shooting through some games. We'll review them here. This is going to be generally a pretty short review. All right, we're going to go ahead and get into it. Let's start. First off, we are talking Watchdog Legions. I played it on the PS5, uh, and again, it came out in 2020. The story is you're part of a hacker group who is trying to do good uh, in the middle of London. Uh, your group is called DeadSec. Now, there is a day when you guys are all doing some operative stuff and some massive explosions happen around. By the way, no spoilers. <laughs> happen around London and you guys are to blame, but you know it's a different hacker group called Zero Day. So your job is to bring down Zero Day after you reassemble DeadSec. What you quickly learn is that the group that took down London with these bombs was actually a multifaceted thing with, you know, gangs and the CIA or the, I'm sorry, MI6 is involved and government officials are involved. It's this big colluded mess where you have to take out individuals of each different faction. Yes, this is a Ubisoft game and they stick to their formulas, but hey, they're fun to play. As you progress taking down each faction, you learn a little bit more about Zero Day, that group you're trying to take down in the end. And finally, when you're fighting the last boss, there's a big reveal. And uh, I, I will say that the individual bosses' stories were pretty good. The AI story is probably the best one. They decided to put a little bit of horror in this open world game. And it, it really served well. They did really good there. Um, the spy story was also very good when you're working with MI6. And there, there's a level of, of you know, intrigue and betrayal and it kind of felt like you were in the middle of a james bond movie on those ones so there are definitely certain ones that are great others not so much like the rich elon musk-esque guy who's trying to create his own military and a drone program it felt pretty flat uh there are others that are that way and, you, and you'll experience them if you play the characters is the biggest downfall of the story villain wise they're pretty good i mean they're okay i guess the people helping you, the NPCs helping you, I actually feel like they are invested in the story. That is nice. But your character is the problem. The big, quote-unquote, perk of this game 
is that you're building a team. You're recruiting 20, 30, 40 different hackers to join DeadSec. Normally, that's not a problem, except for the fact that you play all of those characters. The idea of the game is to switch in between many of the people that you recruit so that you're using the person with the right strength. Where that falls short is that you cannot invest yourself in any of these characters. If a random character you recruited a couple days ago dies, okay, I'll just recruit somebody with those stats again. No big deal. But if it's a character like Ezio from Assassin's Creed 2, if he dies while you're playing Ezio, you feel it. And you just don't feel that here. What I did to remedy this, and I suggest it to anybody who gives this game a shot, pick one that you like. I picked a spy because they have the really cool silencer. Pick somebody you like, make that your main character. The only missions that I needed to use somebody different than my main character was the ones where I needed somebody to fly on top of a roof because the construction workers have access to these big giant drones that you could ride on. So they kind of, so if you pick a construction worker as like your quote unquote main, you're good. You really don't need to switch at all. It's, it's, it's nice that way. It actually works well. I felt the villain threat in this game was adequate. I did constantly feel like I was fighting against the boss, but because of the Ubisoft formula, you guys can even watch it on stream. I telegraph exactly how this game is going to end. You know who the boss is. Like, I mean, if you're a Ubisoft player, you know who the boss is in the first 15 minutes of the game. Uh, so the reveal is not really a reveal. And then I actually was able to telegraph the entire, entire third act of the game. That's just because Ubisoft loves that formula. And I continue to return. I mean, it's, it's a formula that may be predictable, but fun. So if you like that, if you like Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, um, you know, Wild, Wildlands, any of the Ghost Recons, come on back, guys. It's an open world. It's fun. This game is open world. Uh, it's a, um, it's kind of like a Grand Theft Auto is what they're trying to clone it as. Uh, you, you're driving around the city a lot with multiple different cars. It took some getting used to the cars. Uh, that's typical for all these type of games for me. I'll play Saints Row and immediately go over to Grand Theft Auto and it's like I'm relearning driving all over again. The controls are a little different. Cars act a little different. It takes its time. And those who watch the stream are well aware that even the final level, I was hitting everything on the sidewalk. For you American players, this game takes place in London. They drive on a different side of the road. And I could not tell you how many times I have found myself on the incorrect side of the road, making my job just a little bit harder. <laughs> so keep that in mind. I will say the menus and the shops, yes, this game has shops because of course it does. We're all very easy to navigate. Uh, it's sort of kind of simple. It has something like it has the giant map. You're unlocking areas again. I don't need to keep ramming it down you, but it's what you're expecting. Um, but it, it just works very well. I do like that about this game. And as for like innovations, I've never played a Watch Dogs before. So this was the first game where I felt like I could hack so much in the environment. I would like to see in a future Watch Dogs that opened up even more to where I truly can hack everything around me because in this one, I basically just have to look around and wait until I see a trigger that says like, yes, you can hack this to know that that's how I progress the story. Give me a little bit more free room. Make it to where there are multiple ways to get through something. That would be great. Now, this game would have been a B plus A minus for me if it was not for 
a couple huge downsides. First off, I told you guys about the characters and not being able to pick a main. The second one are slow, idiotic puzzles. Puzzles in games, it's a standard. They've been around forever. Open world games, they live by them. The idea of a puzzle is to change up your gameplay, make you stop from your adrenaline rush, reset so that you can start up again. And I enjoy puzzles in games when they're challenging. You guys watched me on God of War. That was challenging. Should it have been? No, but they were for me. So you've seen me do puzzles in games. This game, it was three different puzzles that you had to do, and one of them was definitely dominant. First puzzle, fly your drone through these like weird vents. You only did that like twice, not a big deal. Second one, use your spider bot through vents. Similar to the first one, obviously, but it felt quite differently. Your spider bot is your best friend, guys. Make sure you pick the spider bot as your perk. The third and by far the most annoying is a silly little game where you're rotating discs to try to make wires go all the way through. We've seen it in like Bioshock and stuff like that, but in those kind of things, it's used far less. And in this game, I maybe did 60 to 70 of those puzzles throughout my entire gameplay. So frustrating to come across one of those puzzles. Were they difficult? By no means. None of those 70 puzzles did I actually stop and think, man, this thing is difficult. No, I did think, man, this thing is stopping me from having fun. There has been multiple times when those puzzles popped up that I was like, screw it, we're just gonna go play Final Fantasy 14 or Tetris or anything else that's more fun than this. So Ubisoft, you guys used too many puzzles. You ruined your gameplay flow. You broke the gameplay loop, which is like in the commandments for gaming. You don't break the loop. You broke it. So that was a really hard one. And that, that bumped it down substantially for me. I know on stream, I kept getting mad and that grade kept going down, but we're going to give it a legit grade here, guys. Design was fun. I did like the design. It's this, this cool London. It's a little bit more in the future. I would say like 20 years in the future from us. You know, they got the holograms everywhere. They always, that's always a staple of the future. It's been that way for 70 years. Uh, but it was fun to explore London. It's a place I've always wanted to visit. One of these days I will. Uh, and it was, so it was just cool to be there in that environment. There's some iconic places. I, I actually found the MI6 building because I was going to recruit a spy. I found it based off of my knowledge of 007. So my nerding out about 007 movies paid off in a video game. Finally, <laughs> it didn't do it in any of the 007 games. I'll tell you that. So it was great. Uh, but I had fun in the city. It was really fun. And then the moments where I had the freedom to kind of hack things in my own way and actually explore like the back alleys and the top of the roofs, it felt like it was still living there. So that was really, really cool. The cars were neat. I actually felt like there was a pretty good array it's typical for these types of games to repeat cars and this one does as well but they still felt pretty unique they all drove substantially different to where that actually was kind of nice the music in the game it had the radio system as you'd expect for these type of games and i will give it one big props for one of those radio stations being a podcast uh, Spider-Man did this as well, where one of the radio stations you can listen to while you're swinging through the city is a podcast, generally about Spider-Man sightings and corruption, and in, in, uh, that one was in New York. This one's also corruption in London and stuff like that. And there is a point in the game that is spoiling it. I will not say any more about that, actually. So that was really fun. I do give the music some props. That was, that was quite good. Uh, one small thing, actually, this belongs in gameplay. 
to open a door, generally you'd had to kind of back up a little bit and activate the keypad because you're hacking, quote unquote, the keypad. If they just made it to where like press X to go through door, the door you're standing in front of, it made more sense than going up to the door is like, oh shoot, I got to back up a step, hack the terminal, then walk through. It just slowed me down. Ubisoft, why are you trying to slow me down? So in the end, is this game fun to play? Yes. Is it frustrating? Oh dear God, yes. But there were these moments that were a lot of fun and I did enjoy myself. I'm going to give this game a solid C. So that's Watchdog Legions is getting a C. Do I suggest you play it? Well, if you like this type of game, if you really like these open world driving around um, games, yes, I, I think you should play this game. I do suggest you make it your own. I made sure to pick a character that was my protagonist and I stuck to her, Monique, she's awesome. And I, it, you know, there's all kinds of non-lethal weapons, but if you pick the spy, you got a silencer. And so I just straight up played it like I was 007 and I had a license to kill. I made that game my own and that helped it out quite a bit. With some small changes, this game would have been a B plus, but unfortunately those changes have not been made. There's an expansion to this game which I hear actually improves it in one substantial way. They bring back the character from number one, and you can play the game again as him. What does that do? Well, it gives you a protagonist. So people are saying the expansion's really good because it does what the game has been missing. So check it out, guys. If you guys don't want to actually play Watch Dogs Legions, we streamed the entire story, only the story, on our Twitch. Uh, we're going to do this again the same way, where I'll do the side stuff off, stream and i'll do the main story on stream again next one is ratchet and clank the 2016 uh version uh we have changed our stream days to monday and friday in the morning we'll do some sporadic ones throughout the week whenever we have time but they're going to be starting at 9 a.m pacific time the reason we're doing this is we seem to have a little bit better stream quality we'll also do reruns we're going to test this part out we'll do reruns at night during the old stream times to see what people think about that i'll try to be on during that too to chat if anybody wants to chat uh, we enjoy you guys coming out and hanging out with us on stream. It's been a lot of fun. It was kind of our COVID uh, promise is to become streamers and be good at it. And uh, well, here I am, right? I'm streaming and I must say I'm pretty decent. We're at uh, 99 followers on our stream, guys. Who wants to be the 100? Come and hang out with me. All right, guys, that is all for us this week. And I am off on vacation. So Geek Freaks News won't be back for two weeks. I'll be on a beach somewhere, camping, having a wonderful time. Jonathan will be there as well. And he's already brought up the idea like, we should bring mics and do like recordings on the beach. That might happen. If it does, it'll be a surprise. And if it doesn't, it's because too many pina coladas. <laughs> so I'll be out there having fun. I uh, thank you guys for hanging out. We do have content coming out during those two weeks. Some amazing Trek freaks. I mean, this next one. Oh, it's so much fun. It, it, that series, I'm telling you guys, check it out. I never even watched much of the original series, and I'm, I'm just in love with Trek freaks right now. Pushing Buttons, very special guest, yours truly, is joining on the next Pushing Buttons. And we get into some really good conversations about nostalgia. Uh, so check out the content coming your way. We will continue to release stuff on TikTok. TikTok is really hopping now, and it's, we're actually putting some good effort into that. Uh, it's actually what I wanted to do with our YouTube channel is happening over on TikTok. So you're getting like updates on the news every day. 
And if not that, you're getting some fun games to play over on TikTok. It's been a blast. So come and join us, guys. Um, and everywhere else. The Discord, the Patreon, Twitter, everything. Join the Geek Freaks, guys, and just have some fun. And I will see you guys in a couple weeks. See you later. joining us on the geek freaks podcast you can find us on twitter at geek freaks pod we're also on facebook instagram you can email us we have our patreon and a store all those links are in the description thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you guys next week